0: This letter of John to the church in Ephesus is a little bit like a gym because it keeps coming back again and again to the same theme. And we see it in our reading today. In fact, the ending, the last verse in our reading today is verse 21, and it says this, And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So if you're joining us for the first time, whether online or whether in person, um, one of the things that we do at Christ Church is we work through books of the Bible. And as we've been working through this book of the Bible, 1 John, we've come back to this same idea again and again. In fact, when I was preparing... Uh, the, uh, earlier, and I opened up my Bible software, and I've got my Bible software on one screen, and then I've got, on the other screen, I've got the plan for this week, and, and this, the plan for this week is uh, chapter 4 and verse 21, and I'm, I'm reading through it, and I'm looking on my screen, and I'm thinking, why, what's going on here? It's not quite right, until I realized I hadn't scrolled down far enough in my bible software to get to chapter 4 I was still in chapter 3 and actually chapter 3 is quite like chapter 4 at this point it's talking about exactly the same thing john is saying if you want to develop if you want to progress one of the things that you're going to have to work on uh, in your in your faith journey in your in your desire to grow in faith in Jesus Christ, one of the things to do, whether a bit like the Christian squat jump or the the Christian whatever clever step it is uh, uh, to learn to dance, one of the things to keep coming back to again and again and again is putting into practice the act of loving your brother and sister. This is the Christian Jim. He's saying, progress. I want you, church, he's saying in his letter, I want you to grow. I love you. We've already said on a number of occasions, he treats them like his children. He has great compassion for them. He loves them desperately. And one of the ways that he expresses the love for them, is by encouraging them to love each other. And so it is without any shame that in one sense we're coming back to the same text. We're saying, love each other. But, there's a little bit of a shift in this particular text. And John does this again and again in this letter. He kind of gives different reasons and different rationale and different outcomes for the same thing. And he's creating a new foundation really uh, for our, uh, our text today. And he's saying, look, one of the reasons that you should love each other is because uh, chapter 4 and verse 16 is because God is love. That's the foundation. See that at the beginning? God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. But I just want to pause for a minute because those three opening words are possibly the most important words in the whole of the Bible. And you've probably heard me say that about all sorts of different texts. But this one, I really think God is love is incredibly, foundationally important. What it doesn't say is God is loving. It doesn't say God loves you. It says God is love. It's dramatically different. And I want to just pick out three things to just work through when, when John says that God is Love fundamentally important things because actually they create a foundation for the whole of the storyline of the Bible. The first is this. God is the definition of love. What is love? That's a kind of really, that's a really questioning sort of idea, isn't it? Humanity throughout history probably, has tried to explore that idea. What is love? Let me put it in a really kind of contrasty kind of way. One of the ways that we express love to each other is in simple terms, we are expressing love if we spend time and we communicate to somebody, aren't we? That's a loving thing to do. To actually pause and stop and and give something of our time, give something of our mind, something of our emotions, something of our heart to somebody else. That is a loving thing to do. Here's my question. Why is that loving as opposed to ignoring somebody? Why is it not that ignoring somebody and actually making sure that we don't speak to people, that we don't engage in conversation? Why is it that one is, we all know it's a loving thing, but we never stop and pause and say, why is that loving? And and actually ignoring somebody and making sure that we don't catch their eye and making sure that we don't ask any questions of them and making sure that we don't expect to give anything of us to them and making sure that we don't expect any of them reciprocated back to us. Why? Why is one loving, and we all know it is, and the other isn't? The idea in the Bible is, quite simply, That this is a loving thing to give deeply and richly because it is the essence of who God is. God is the definition of love. We're going to keep coming back in this little journey to one of the ideas about understanding and knowing God. We understand and know God quite a lot from the very beginning, before the creation of the world. And one of the things that we see is that God, back then, is described in a way which makes it really clear to us that God is a God of internal, okay, you ready for this? Internal, pre existing communication. And, you know, people have thought about that since Jesus, and they said, oh yeah, okay, we now get it. What we're going to call it is the Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Before the world even existed, there was a communicating relationship in what we call God. The one God is a communicating relationship. And that's why that's a loving thing to do because the very nature of God is a communicating, interrelatable God. God is the definition of love. But here's the other thing. Where does love come from? If God is love then not only is He the definition of love, but He is also the source of love. He's where love comes from. Everything that that is a loving thing finds its source originally in God. In fact, love cannot exist without the pre-existence of a God who is Love, love kind of transmits, doesn't it? You know, we've been through a terrible thing and and thank God, in the face of a virus that has been transmitted across the world in a terrifying way, we've also, also seen glimpses across the world of the transmitting power of love Human beings expressing love to each other in all sorts of different ways. You undoubtedly over this past 18 months have been both a giver and a receiver of love. It's a transmitting thing. So when we receive it, we find that we also give it. In fact, the more that we receive it, the genuinely are changed by it When love changes us, we find that we give love. It's a pre-existing thing which transmits. Why? Because it pre-existed in God. He is the source of love and He is also the transmitting power of love. That takes us to the final thing that I'm going to say on this idea of God is love, and it's this. Love existed before the world existed. That's that's actually an amazing thing. Love existed before the world existed. What does that tell us? It tells us that all of the ideas that we might think about us, humanity being the kind of, the loving creatures in the world, The loving animals in the world decide, actually no, love existed if God is love, love existed before the world even existed. So that's just mind-blowing, that love existed before we even knew that there was a way for it to be expressed in humankind. How can we see that? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, one of the ways that the Bible describes God creating the world, and we see it again and again, is, is, is this. God said, and it happened. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be. God said, let there be, and it was. That's one of the things that repeats itself again and again and again through Genesis chapter 1. The, Theologians have called that ex nihilo. He, he created something out of nothing. Be, be, when, when there was nothing, God created, and there was something. Ex nihilo. And now, there's, there's all sorts of questions around that, and, to, and you know, I, I don't think any science is actually fundamentally. A- a- got to the bottom of that you know whatever we think about the forming of something out of nothing that there is a pre-existing something which has got to have come from somewhere and and the Christian faith says the way in which that is reconciled is in the ex nihilo creation of God it is created out of nothing by God because God is the source of creation, But what this is saying is that God is also the source of love. And in exactly the same way, God creates love in this world out of nothing. And it is created because of His very being. <laughs> so it's the foundation of everything. It kind of fills you with great hope, doesn't it? Fills you with great confidence. If if the world is created in love, that's a great start. But the reality is that that is not the kind of world that we actually live in, is it? We We do not live in a world which is filled with love. There are little glimpses, little moments. There are times when we see it really expressed. But one of the fundamental challenges that the storyline of the Bible introduces to us is the idea that for all that we hope that the world is going to be founded and existing in this kind of bubble of love, the reality is that it doesn't. It just doesn't exist like that. I read a brilliant, brilliant article this week. We, we, yeah, I suppose the foundation of the article was this. We are living and have lived in an incredible social experiment, which is social media. Now, the foundation of that article was somebody who... uh, tech guy, who was writing about why Facebook has already failed, why it is already dead. And, you know, he's not really talking about whether it's actually functioning now. He's talking about this is already dead. It's just going through the death throes, which might last for the next 10, 15 years. But conceptually, it's dead already. Whether he's right or wrong, I don't know. But what he said in the article is stunning. Let me read it to you. Facebook is over because they won. Because they have two billion plus users. Because they created a service which mirrors humanity. That's why social media, I think, is this incredible social experiment, this worldwide social experiment. They created a service which mirrors humanity. And humanity, as it turns out, is not great. I mean, yeah, sure, there are pockets of great, but there are also pockets of awful. And the awful will always overwhelm the great. And Facebook has created the perfect tool to enable this at scale. Do you know what? I don't know whether he's a Christian. I suspect he probably isn't. But you could take that paragraph and you could could say that is actually the very foundation of one of the key concepts in the whole of the Bible. And it's this, that for all that we you know Zuckerberg might have wanted to create this beautiful social environment in which all of humanity can become this relatable, loving, interconnected, beautiful thing. He's reflecting, and he's saying that very success of creating a service to try to enable that has revealed the reality of humanity that the awful will always win. Wow. The awful will always win. One of the phrases I think he uses is that the village bully can now become the global bully. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? But here's the thing. I don't really care whether he's right or wrong. I don't really care whether Facebook survives in the next 20 years or not. I think what he's doing is he's putting his finger on one of the very issues that we have about this desire for love, that awful will always win. And if we are part of the that engine of... Communicating to each other love, which is precisely what works in humanity. In in theological terms, we call it common grace. It's the work of God throughout humanity, throughout the world, working through humanity so that love might be expressed. The reality is that we are just as much a part of the engine of the awful and overwhelmingly, we are more part of the engine of the awful than we are a part of the engine of the good. That's, that's what he says in his article. And it's actually what the Bible says. Is that our, our tendency, our propensity, our, our pattern is always towards the awful. So how can we survive? How can we work this through? How, what's, the, what's the Bible stories storyline of the Bible? What's the answer to that problem? How do we resolve the fact that, lo- that love does not seem to triumph, but awful always wins? Well, the storyline of the Bible is that love wins. That's the great news. Love wins. It was the title of a book a few years ago by a guy called Rob Bell. And, and Rob was, I would say, its just missed a fundamental step in this idea of the idea of love winning. He, he, he pushes in really fantastically well in saying that love is a wonderful thing expressed to each of us and expressed outside of us But then he goes on and he says that he he just kind of loses the very power of the message of the Bible when he describes the cross as cosmic child abuse. Where he can't get his head around the idea of the message of the Bible having Jesus at the center. And at the center of the Bible is God the Father crushing His Son. And he says, I can't get my head around it. When you express it like that, it's cosmic child abuse. Therefore, it must be something else. (laughs) And he's missed it. He's missed the most important part of the Bible, which is this, that love can only win because of judgment. Love can only win because of judgment. Because there is a God who judges. The storyline of the Bible is that Jesus (laughs) is the God who is love. He is the God who before time is love but he is also the God who breaks into this world and bears the judgment in this world and suffers and dies because of what we see in verse 19 of our text. He did that. We love, therefore, because he first loved us how did jesus express his love Do you know it's it's message of the bible abc it's like really it's just central it's the the most simple basic critical element is that the message of the bible is this that the cross is not cosmic child abuse it is central to the very idea that jesus loved the world that Jesus loves us that God loves us in fact he loved us before we loved him and he died on the cross verse 19 John is saying okay welcome to the gym you need to carry on learning how to love each other but the very foundation of you loving each other we love because you were first loved Remember when said that love is a kind of thing that gets, that gets fed from one to the other? The very energy, the very drive, the very foundation for the way in which we love each other is absolutely rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ because there we see that He first loved us. That's great news. And it's great news that God is the kind of God who is prepared to judge. Look at verse... Where are we? Verse 20. Sorry, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's talking about this moment. This why, why are we fearful? Why are we talking about punishment? Where does that come in? It comes in because of verse 17, which says this. This is how my love is made complete in us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. There's the thing. The way in which God expresses his love is by making sure that creation finds its fulfillment In being reconciled in a day of judgment. What's that all about? What's the judgment like? What's it going to be like? What's the the courtroom of heaven going to be like? What will it look like? How will the court be arranged? How will the evidence be presented? how will i how will i be called up to give account before god like every other human being in all of history what will it mean for charges to be brought what will that incredible day be like i do not know And when I think about it, when I think about the idea of the eternal God breaking into time and suddenly in a moment the, this kind of this sequential idea of time that we exist in, that we live in, God breaks into this world and suddenly in a moment the eternal God is present and we are before Him and there is a moment of judgment before God. That in human terms, it's terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying. It's the deep unknown. How do we cope with that? Verse 18. There is no fear in love. Now when I think on the one hand this idea of the judgment of god this idea of god breaking into time and reconciling and re- reaching that point of judging the whole of the world how can i cope with that idea how can i not be absolutely paralyzed with fear is because of this verse there is no fear in love you know because if i am loved by Jesus, then that is a greater power, that is a greater thing than that judgment day. There is no fear. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. What is perfect love and what is punishment? And why do they go together? What is perfect love? the only perfect love that I can see expressed in the storyline of the Bible is Jesus. That's where we look for perfect love. And when we see the perfect love in Jesus, we realize that the perfect love in Jesus that I can be connected to, that I can believe in, that I can trust in, is greater than the fear of punishment. In fact, I don't have to fear punishment at all why why do i not have to fear punishment because he bore it simple as that rob honestly if you if you lower the idea of the cross and try to get around the storyline of the bible so that you you treat the sacrificial death of jesus as cosmic child abuse, you lose the hope that you have got on the judgment day. You lose it. You lose the reason right now not to fear it. Because it is the sacrifice of Jesus that means that I can look at perfect love and know that I won't be punished. one who fears is not made perfect in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Here's the question to, to conclude really. Are you able to say that I am loved by God? I want you to be able to say that you are loved by God. I want you to be able to say when that, that God in Jesus died on that cross, I know that it was because he loved me. The fact that he was there is because he had already worked out before the the concept of time had even been understood that there was going to come that moment where he was going to be seen to love in the most perfect way on a cross. And when he does that, I can see true love and I can know that I am loved by God. But I want to invite you on the basis of that love to get into the gym. Get into the gym of Christian growth. Because you've got a commandment here to get into the gym. Verse 21. He's given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That is how you get fit. That is how you learn to just walk.